I'm Chase Gasper, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm once again joined by Callum. I nearly killed him, Williams. We're going to be looking back at the MLS's back tournament. You're giving me a funny look like you don't know. So the joke is like, there's these jokes where it's like, wrecked him, I nearly killed him. So I was making a Callum, I nearly killed him joke. I I was going to say, I don't ever remember you nearly killing me. (laughs) Anyways, I just was going to blow past it, but the look you were giving me was so funny. Anyways, uh, we're going to be looking back at the MLS's back tournament, sort of a back at the MLS's. There's a lot of backs in that statement. Um, as a whole in this episode, including, including Minnesota's last game against Orlando, as well as the final between Portland and Orlando. Plus, we'll be talking about what's next for Minnesota United and MLS. But first, again, we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season, Allianz, Alina Health. Bell Bank, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota, Federated Insurance, and M Health Fairview. Again, we really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us through the tournament and as we head forward into the rest of the season. Uh, if you want to learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Let's, uh, let's get right into the soccer. I don't have anything funny this week to talk about because nothing's funny anymore. So let's talk about that semifinal against Orlando. Um, I'll start by saying that after the, uh, the final last night, we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, after the final last night, uh, Nani uh, opined that Orlando was the better team uh, against Portland, but still lost. So I feel fine saying that I felt like Minnesota was the better team against Orlando, but Nani's two brilliant moments were really the difference there. Um, I'll respectfully disagree. I think Orlando were the better team on the evening, Steve. All right. Uh, okay, then. Minnesota were beaten by the better team, and that's okay. Um, you know, no doubt Minnesota had opportunities. Um, you know, me suggesting that Orlando were the better team doesn't mean Minnesota were, were poor on the evening, because I don't think they were. Uh, I thought they played quite well, but I just think they were beaten by the better team on the evening. Um, and the two goals that, that Nani scored were exquisite, and... Um, deserves to be on the winning team um you know and the, the biggest thing i noticed from that game um from what i can remember is is that minnesota really really missed roma metanier on that right hand side yeah uh, that was obvious um i don't mean to be disrespectful to sonny dotson um right back is not his position uh he can do it quite well we've seen that in the past against um certain opponents um but it's not his position and so to lay any sort of blame on Hassani Dotson, I think, is incredibly harsh because he's he's performed in that role quite admirably in several different occasions. Um, but, it, it, you know, the, the first goal, obviously, it's it's long ball over the top and, and Dotson gets caught because Nani's first touch is beyond world class and it brings him inside away from Dotson and he's, he's able to, to squeeze it past Miller. Um and, and the second goal, again, it's one of them with, with Dotson where it's unfortunate because Nani, when he has the ball on the edge of the penalty area, um, you can tell Dotson is, is jockeying and waiting for a movement of some sort. One of two things were going to happen. Um, and one of them did happen with, with 
with Nani scoring from the edge of the penalty area, the other thing that was going to happen was Nani was going to play into the overlapping fullback and who was going to cross and potentially Orlando would have scored. So for me, what happened there was when the overlapping fullback, Moutinho, I believe it was, made the run, um, Hassani Dotson took a half a yard a step back because he was distracted by the run of Moutinho and, and doing that gave Nani the half a yard he needed to shimmy the ball inside slightly and execute the efforts. And, and obviously he did it very well indeed. Um, but it's one of them with, with uh, when you're the right back in that situation, um, I think Dalton actually does the right thing because, you know, it, it, it's just one of them, in my opinion, where um, you, you're in trouble either way because, um, you know, when, when the fullback is, is overlapping um, and so say, for example, Nani plays the ball into the fullback and Dotson doesn't uh, take a step back, and Moutinho plays the ball across and Orlando score, everybody will say, well, you know, Dotson was occupied with, with Nani. Um, he should have been tracking back a bit faster and got the better of Moutinho. Um, but then now people are saying, well, perhaps he should have taken a step back, uh, or a step forward rather, and, and uh, done better with the Nani situation. But it's... It's one of those things where I, I, I think you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in that situation with Asani Dotson. I, I don't blame him at all. Um, I, I just think it was one of those situations where he would have been caught either way, um, regardless if, if whoever was playing um, in that right-back role in that situation. Um, it would have been really difficult to deal with. And uh, as I said, look, at the end of the day, uh, I think um, Dotson did the right thing in sticking with Nani, um, who is uh, obviously able to... Um, to score from from that sort of range, uh, and he, he did so very well. You would always favour in that situation staying with a player who's got the better quality. Um, and and Nani, in my opinion, you know, uh, is able to to score those types of goals and, and did it very very well indeed. So I just I felt a little bit sorry for Dotson. I thought he was left um, hanging a little bit. Um, I, I don't think um, there were a lot of uh, I don't think there was enough support around him to help him out in that situation. Nani, obviously, um, whenever he got the ball, I thought he made it look very, very easy. Um, and uh, as I said, I, I just thought it was a, um, an unfortunate showing for Minnesota United. I think one or two of their weaknesses were were exposed. Um, but at the end of the day, I think they were beaten by the better team. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, and it, it's, it's one of those things that's sort of difficult to parse, like that question of who is the better team. I, I mean, it just sort of goes to the point of, soccer as uh, Brent Coleman has said before and one of my favorite things that I keep coming back to which is that soccer is cruel I don't think he's the first person to say that but it stuck with me when he said it um and I guess to me the thing is is that I felt like at worst the teams were were sort of on even footing and then Nani had two touches that were just the class that you expect from Nani I mean they're not like beyond what you think he's capable of but you know, like Hassani was up too far on that first goal, but if Nani's touch had been looser, it might not have been a goal at all. Um, I think in that second, that second instance, you know, obviously it's hard to say exactly what's happening in a player's mind consciously as they're making these decisions. But I feel like Hassani is splitting the difference between picking, you know, what threat to shut down and Nani's 
shot there was inch perfect. You know, it's one of those, it ha- and it had to be, you know? And so it's like, if you make that, I think it's one of those things you like, you take your hat off and you go, okay. Like he, he curled it in on it. I mean, it, it, it dinged paint off the far post, you know, like, <laughs> which is, which was an, it was an amazing shot. It's certainly one of the top five goals in the tournament and probably not number five. Like it was, it was that good. So to me, it's like looking at that. The thing is, is that if you replace Nani in that situation with, uh, you know, an average left winger, let's say, um, in that game, it's, I think it's Minnesota United's game to win at that moment. That, I guess that's how I feel. Is that like they had by far the best player on the pitch that night and he showed out, you know, like it's just one of those things that like, we'll get into this when we talk about Portland, Orlando a little bit, but you saw Portland stop a lot of that from happening with Nani. And that was to me the difference in that game in a lot of ways, because again, Portland played a game that was, uh, similar to um, what Minnesota United did a lot of times to great success throughout the tournament by not having as much possession, playing back, and then taking advantage on the break. And that's Portland's – that's always been sort of Portland's style. Um, but they kept Nani from having one of those games, and that was sort of the difference in that game. It's, it's interesting. I don't know. It's one of those – I think it's, it's a thing you get to debate a lot more in soccer than a lot of other sports because it is such a, a narrow – a narrow window there, you know, like, again, it was, it was a three, one game, right. But it's really a two, one game that, that last, you know, that last goal came because Minnesota was trying to get forward. It came in the 96th or 97th minute or whatever it was. Um, and you know, those two goals coming so close together as Adrian Heath is fond of saying goals, goals change games, you know, like if, if those, if the first goal had been Minnesota's, I think Minnesota could have won, you know, like it was the, the teams were very even, which made it, you know, a really, I think it was a really fun game to watch overall. You know, I thought the teams were pretty uh, evenly matched. And I have to say, Oscar Perea definitely has Orlando playing a very pretty brand of soccer, which is not at all like what they were doing before, um, even with most of the same personnel. So, you know, hats off to them for getting for doing as well as they did in that tournament, I think. Yeah, I think prior to Perea, I don't think about the last couple of coaches Orlando have had. I, I struggle to remember them really having an identity once Adrian Heath left, really. Um, they, they've been the punchline for a lot of MLS jokes, haven't they, for a while. So um, I think um, I think Perret has a perfect addition for them. Um, as you said, quite rightly so. He's got them playing a, a certain style that, that he implemented when he was at FC Dallas. Um, and I, I think that I think they're missing one or two, two players that, that could potentially put them um, towards the upper echelons of the Eastern Conference. I, I think, I mean, look, we, we still don't really know what the season's going to look like overall, do we? I mean, we have a, a, a general idea now, but um, things could, could still change because of the, um, the vulnerability of, of Mother Nature and the world, but we still don't really know. And, um, you know, I, but I, I think if, if it continues what, to what we think is going to happen. It wouldn't surprise me if Orlando made the playoffs for the first time in their history in, in Major League Soccer. That wouldn't surprise me at all this year. But I still think they're one or two players away from really being up there towards the top end of, of the Eastern Conference, you know. So, you know, with the likes of Toronto and New York City and Atlanta and all that kind of stuff, you know. But, um, you know, I, I think they're a good team. There's no doubt Pereira has improved them big time. Um, and I think their efforts should be commended. I, I, I think all of the, the semi-finalists should be commended for their efforts because nobody, nobody had those four in the final. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the tournament overall. Um, And uh, let's just begin since we're there, just talking about how, 
how teams did. I mean, it wouldn't be MLS without completely unexpected teams getting into the semifinals, I feel like. Um, and, you know, we've already touched in previous podcasts on, you know, Atlanta's failure to get through the group stage and some of the other sort of surprises that have happened along the way. Um, looking back at it now with a moment to sort of have it in the rearview mirror, I think my feeling is that it was way more successful than I had any like belief that it was going to be when, when the plans were announced. Um, I mean, I think from concern about the bubble itself, which again, as, as FC Dallas and Nashville had to withdraw, you began to wonder if this was going to crumble. Um, but since that time, you know, no positive tests among the people who were tested or maybe like one, I think, I think Don Garber said on the broadcast, they had like one positive test or something, basically a clean sheet, um, you know, using some soccer metaphors there, a clean sheet for the, for the tournament in terms of COVID tests um, and produced some, you know, like who knew what it was going to be like without the, the, the crowd noise. Um, I applauded ESPN's decision to not have crowd noise. Um, I think FS1 did have crowd noise. I didn't watch any FS1 games because I don't get it, but, um, but uh, not having the crowd noise at first, I mean, within the first five minutes, I was like, this feels like a scrimmage. And then I forgot completely about it. And I just, you know, I think it would be, I mean, I, I'm, it's going to be different when it gets into stadiums that we're used to having, you know, like when, when games are at Allianz field, this might be a little bit unusual. Um, You know, I'm not sure if all the plans are settled yet for exactly what the broadcast and audio style is going to be, but you know, pretty quickly I just adapted and I watched the soccer and I was like, this is, this is fun soccer to watch. And I thought it was a fun group of semifinalists um, that went against the grain a little bit. Um, And I think overall, you know, it's kind of cool. There's going to be, I mean, not that I want there to be um, a bubble and a tournament for this, but you know, this might, hopefully this is the only MLS's back tournament, you know, and hopefully Portland is the only MLS's back tournament winner ever. So given that looking back on it now, I feel like it was a success. Yeah. I would say let's hope it's the only MLS's back tournament that is in the middle of the regular season. If it, if it becomes a preseason thing, I actually am I'm quite a fan of, of this yeah. idea. That idea was floated around a few weeks ago. Um, so if that's the case and they want to do this for preseason every year, I, I don't think there would be many that would be opposed to or against it. So um, it was tremendously exciting, Steve. It was just good to have our soccer back. Um, it was good to to see players that we're familiar with and individuals that we know back on the fields. Um, and it was just, I, I thought it was it was beautifully chaotic at the start. It was very Major League Soccer. Um, <laughs> but isn't that why we, we love it so much, you know, because there is a, uh, a, a couple of different, different certain things that we love about MLS that only happen in Major League Soccer, and that's why we love it. Um, but it was just simply good to have Major League Soccer back, Steve. We, we were sort of um, we were teased a little bit, weren't we, in the build-up with the European footballing scene returning. You know, it was nice to have that back, but it felt as though there was something missing um, because it wasn't it wasn't um, the league that that we love and, and the league that we work in. Um, I, I, I thought it was tremendously entertaining. I thought the tournament itself was a real success um, to the point now, as I said, where I, I could see Major League Soccer implementing this as as a preseason must at some stage. Providing we get back to normal, um, you know, ahead of whatever next season looks like, you know, so um, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I, I thought it was majorly successful, um, and the one thing which which I think can't be um, underestimated is is how serious the players took it as well. Because let's be honest, Steve, coming into this, we weren't sure, were we? We didn't really know what what are the players going to think of this. 
I must admit, as a broadcaster, I didn't really know how to view it. I didn't know, okay, uh, you know, what what sort of level of aggression am I going to give this this call or something? You know, it, it, does this mean what it what it potentially could or should do to players? You know, is is this viewed as a, a Mickey Mouse tournament? Is this viewed as a tournament that people really care about? You know, we 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 weren't really ever sure what to what to do and how to um, how to phrase it and and how to um, how to react and. Um, until we got into the knockout stages, because I remember talking to you on this podcast about this when, you know, there were several people coming in, several managers coming into this tournament saying, we just want the points from the from the group stage. And after that, we're fine going home um, because their sole aim was um, to focus on, on the regular season and the standings in whatever conference they're in. Um, but, you know, having seen the, the scenes from the knockout stages and in particular last night, the, the final as well, um, try telling anybody that players don't care about the tournament, you know. Um, it was great to see so many people that were so passionate about about a tournament that was um, born from absolutely nothing, you know. And, and I think Major League Soccer should um, should be very proud of, of what they've done and, and what uh, what they've achieved. Yeah, I think the um, it, we we touched on this before in a podcast talking about whether this is in some ways a trial run for the idea of a of a mid season tournament or a play in tournament for for playoff spots or for um, you know for some other kind of if the, if this is going to be replicated not not for not in a bubble but in some sort of like neutral location or something like that um, I think there's a lot to be said for it I mean I think that um, as far as a warm up into the regular season you just saw how quickly this forced every team into shape you know in a way that um you know the preseason maybe doesn't quite do you know we always see the, we see the preseason games and some of the results are wild and then the the season starts and you got to wait through about like you know, five to 10 games before you sort of have a sense of this is who this team is. This really pressed these teams into like, this is who you are, like figure this out and, and hit the ground running. You got to believe that at this moment, starting the season right now under normal circumstances, all these teams would be ready to go. And from jump, you would just have a regular season that was a lot more, uh, had a lot more bite to it in the first couple of weeks. So I think that's, I, I, I'd like to see it. Um, the concept of using it at the, at the end of the season as a play into the playoffs is also interesting, especially as you see, like, you know, playoff pl- playoff teams getting expanded. I think they're adding another team this, this season for the playoffs. Uh, so it's getting kind of, it's getting kind of fat out there. <laughs> like, I feel like maybe you could play into like, have some of those teams in that, in that like seven, eight, nine spot, have them playing into the playoffs rather than having them, you know, just sort of bowing out after the first round. So, um, so there's a lot of possibilities there. I think that um, as far as Minnesota uh, itself, Minnesota United, I mean, I think that, as you said, you touched on this talking about that, that semifinal, but a couple of things were just exposed that they had managed to kind of play around or play over um, throughout the tournament. And I think they deserve a tremendous amount of credit for that. I mean, I think there was really, as, as Adrian Heath had said, and a couple of players had touched on, there's a real like collective belief across the team that they, they sort of got through the crests and troughs of the tournament, um, you know, without Ike Opara at all, like no Ike Opara, and then missing Kevin Molino and Romal Metinier for, for decent chunks of time and, and in critical moments. Um, who are, you know, I think you could, it's probably safe to say that's, you're talking about three of the top five players on the team right there. Um, 
probably at this point, um, as well as things like, you know, Luis Amaria never really looking 100%, um, you know, not, you know, if you look at how, how he looked in those first two games, you know, you know, what he can look like that, 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 that player was never really out there for Minnesota United. Um, so, I mean, I think that they just, it's sort of one of these things where you're like, okay, well, they played over their heads probably a little bit in some ways, given how well they did, given those people who are missing. But also at some point, you got to say that itself is a skill. That itself is is part of what makes a team a team, is that ability to rise to the occasion. It's the kind of thing people give Toronto credit for now in terms of being a tournament team, which obviously they didn't show that in this tournament. But, you know, like that idea of having a familiarity with the format or being able to sort of, you know, rise to the occasion, it's... I think Portland, you can give a lot of, if you look at the post game about Portland, a lot of what they is being said about Portland is sort of what I think is true about Minnesota. You know, like they're not necessarily always a pretty team, um, but they have a collective belief and a steadiness to them. And I think that that is building in, in Minnesota is a sense, a collective sense of we have this, uh, we can, we can get through this together. And I think that's, uh, it's a great thing to see developing for the team. Yeah, absolutely. There's a team spirit there that's never, been um, as aggressive as it is now, for sure. We were speaking to Chase Gasper, weren't we, as a, a part of the, the media a couple of weeks ago, when, and he essentially insinuated that. But it's it's a, a great group of individuals. Everybody seems to get along. You know, there are at least there doesn't seem to be any sort of little clicks. You know, everybody seems to get along and want to do things. Even those that don't speak the same language seem to hang out. And um, you know, I, I don't think there's been a togetherness um, in this squad like there is right now. And uh, I think moving forward in, in, in look what is a very peculiar and bizarre year, I, I think it's more important than, than ever now moving forward. Everybody has to perhaps do a little more digging than they usually would. Um, everybody has to adapt to, to whatever the situation is. Um, I, I think it's a good thing getting into to these games now, um, the in-market games, because it, it'll be another experience that, that people haven't uh, had before. And, um, It'll take a lot of uh, togetherness to to get through it, Steve. And, and I think Minnesota United are, are very well equipped. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the the final between Portland and Orlando. We've touched a little bit on it. Um, uh, what's I only got to see the second half of the game. Um, I was consumed with bedtime for my children for the first half of the game, so I came in at the half. Um, but you know, I've 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 looked at highlights and I and I read back on it. What was um, what was your feel about this just as as a final and how Portland looked and how Orlando looked? Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was competitive. You could tell, obviously, that both sides um, obviously wanted to, to claim the, the silverware. Um, I, I thought, more than anything, I, I thought that the two centre-halves of Portland, it, it was really the centre-halves at centre-stage, really, you know, yeah. um, with Mabiala scoring uh, and Zuperich, the, the other, um, doing ever so well. Uh, look, Orlando had chances. I thought Orlando were unfortunate, um, but I don't really remember the goalkeeper Steve Clark having to make a, a, a real save of, of of real notoriety. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a save that I, I thought to myself, "That's a really good save." You know, what the saves that he made, you would expect him to make. Um, the, there was one situation where I thought um, uh, Galese, the, the goalkeeper for Orlando, I think he should have saved the first one. Um, and if you go back and watch it, it's a lovely whipped in ball from Valeri and Mabiala rolls into the sky and just gave it a little nudge. He didn't, it wasn't particularly a powerful header, but he just gave it a little nudge towards goal. And I, I was watching this with a friend last night who, um, who made a very good point and I completely agree that when Mabiala 
heads towards goal, the, the angle of which the player is at is a little difficult. You would expect him to go back across goal. And let's say the goalkeeper takes a tiny little step to the right because he probably expects it to go back across goal, but it doesn't. It goes straight um, and it goes towards the goal. And Galese, in the end, gets a palm to it. He palms it away, but he, he pushes it into his own net. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I think it, I agree with what my friend said. I think it's that little step to the right that might have just put him off balance a little bit and, and might have caused him a little bit of an issue. Um, but for me, either way, um, as a goalkeeper at that point of view for, for me Gillespie needs to save that and I think um, Orlando will probably look back on that one and think yeah we, we should probably have done better on that situation the marking wasn't great as well it wasn't Orlando's um, best day defensively on that particular occasion um, but I, I thought the Timbers were, were deserved winners in the end I really did um, you know uh, as I said like Valerio I thought was good when he had the ball at feet um, if obviously is just a, a nuisance um, big fan of Blanco Blanco um, got my my media vote for player of the tournament. Um, I, I can't remember what, what the exact numbers are now, but I know he was involved in a lot of goals for the Timbers. Um, mm-hmm. Had he not have been playing, the Timbers wouldn't have gotten anywhere near where they got to. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say they were deserved winners because I think there were uh, other teams in the tournament that that were perhaps just as deserving or um, certainly would have been in the conversation. But that's a tournament, Steve. You know, you you. you can only do what you can do in, in the group stage in the knockout rounds. If you show up and you go into a tournament uh, or you gain momentum in a tournament, um, then then obviously it's going to carry you through, usually anyway. So, um, as I said, I, I thought the Timbers did very well on the evening. Uh, I thought Orlando were, were okay as well. I don't think they were as good as what they were against Minnesota. Um, the Uruguayan lad, Pereira, I thought, gave this an account of himself. Obviously, he scored as well. Uh, Nani uh, was a little more reserved. Um uh, coming in from the left-hand side, um, but I, look, I, I thought it was—I thought it was a good final. Um, it encapsulated the competitive nature of the tournaments, which which is good, um, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And as we said before, Steve, I, I think the tournament um, in itself was a tremendous success. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was nice to see Zuparich get that that goal um, between Nani's legs. Also, just from a personal standpoint, knowing how <laughs> Nani disassembled uh, Minnesota United in that last game. So. Um, I think that the tournaments are interesting, and I think it's one of the things that um, it's funny because we have a sort of there's sort of a dearth of tournaments in the United States for sports um, in you know Major League Baseball. Uh, I mean, the playoffs are a kind of tournament in a way, but you know it's 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 a little bit different. Um, there's only the NCAA tournament, you know, the sort of March Madness it feels like, which is huge and everybody loves it, and yet we don't do it in other in other situations. And I think it's it's funny because I think growing up I thought you know, oh, well, a tournament is to, is going to show you who's really on top, like who's really going to make it, who's going to make it count when, when the stakes are high and when your back is against the wall. But honestly, the thing that's really great about a tournament is that it doesn't really do that. It's just sort of like, you know, it's momentum. It's, it's what makes the NCAA tournament great is that there's these upsets. And I would say upsets with air quotes, because at this point with the way they do rankings, you know, like teams that look like, you know, if you're talking about those, those, those matchups that are like, you know, it, it can look like it's a big gap between like a 10th seeded team and a fourth seeded team, but it's not necessarily um, because of the way those seedings are done. These upsets are not always upsets. 
And so I think the, the MLS's back tournament had a point, um, you know, it's in, in that way, it's sort of also like, you can't really draw a lot of conclusions about what these teams are or who they're, who they're going to be in the regular season based on those, you know, sort of who's the semifinalists, but it's fun. It's super fun. Um, I think that uh, your point about Portland, um, you know, they were, I don't know about the difference between deserving and worthy. They were certainly worthy winners, I think, based on their performance in the game. Although I would agree that, you know, if Nani, if Nani had had a performance like he had against the Loons, I think it's a toss up again. And I think that, you know, the Orlando might've been on top with a little more production from him, but, um, but Portland got a lot of what they got the same way that Minnesota got through the tournament. They had way less of the ball. They had 36% possession um, and then scored on uh, set pieces, you know, with, with center backs, um, which is, you know, which is sort of unusual. But again, it's one of the things I like about Portland. I was thinking about this after, you know, if, if, if Minnesota United were not in MLS, uh, if I did not have sort of a rooting interest in, in, in my employer winning games, like I think my, my favorite teams would be, um, Philadelphia. I love Jamiro Montero. He's my guy. And, and Brendan Aronson is super fun. Um, Portland, uh, again, because of, of that, they're kind of ugly, but know who they are. Diego Chara, again, another, another holding mid that I love. I would hit my be in the holding midfielders appreciation society button if I had it. And then sporting Kansas city, um, you know, as much as in some ways, they drive me crazy uh, when when Minnesota has to play them, which we'll be getting we'll be getting to that in a minute. But um, uh, but just the culture, and I think if you look at those three teams, uh, there's things that they have in common with Minnesota and the way the teams are built. They're not huge teams. They're not glamour teams. They're not located in places that are the glamour places, um, and they've been built, uh, you know, all in their own ways, but all with an eye towards you know creating continuity creating like sticking with something if you think about how long Jim Curtin has been with Philadelphia how much how much leeway he was given to build that team obviously the culture at the Portland Timbers and Sporting Kansas City are are solid uh Peter Vermees obviously at SKC Gio Savarese not as long you know at, at Portland but the Timbers culture is so solid to begin with and he's definitely tapped into that so you know I like that vibe I like those vibes I mean they're not just they're not like down at the heel teams they're not um they're not just shaggy underdogs, but they all in some ways have their underdog elements. And that's what I think makes those teams the ones that I like. Best thing about Portland as well, voodoo donuts. Well, there's, yeah. I mean, Portland, also my roommate <laughs> from college lives in Portland and, uh, and he's a great guy and they have great food. Uh, SKC has barbecue, which is tremendous. Philly has the Philly cheesesteaks. Maybe we're finding another thread, a common thread of the teams that I enjoy. So, um, Real Salt Lake, you know, I don't want to go to Salt Lake City for food. So, um, let's move on. Let's talk about phase one return to play, which is happening. Uh, Minnesota United and the other MLS teams are going to be back in action with a, a, I, I am not party to all the discussions about how many phases there are. I presume there's more than the first phase. Um, but we're talking about essentially some teams are going to have fans in the building. I'm not even going to go step into that minefield. But mm-hmm. Minnesota United is not going to have fans in the building for phase one here. Um, let's just go over the schedule right now. Friday, August, for anybody who's not been aware of it, Friday, August 21st, uh, Minnesota United is going to be back at Allianz Field to face Sporting Kansas City. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and then Saturday, August 29th at FC Dallas, Wednesday, September 2nd at Houston Dynamo. Um, and then Sunday, September 6th at Allianz Field against Real Salt Lake. Wednesday, September 9th against FC Dallas at Allianz Field also. And then Sunday, September 13th, heading back to Kansas City 
to face Kansas City again because you got to face them several times if you're Minnesota United. Um, now, to my knowledge, all of this is going to be done with the team f- like flying in the day of the game uh, and then flying back after. So, you know, quick turnarounds, uh, minimizing contact, trying to keep sort of moving bubbles basically with the team where everything is sort of locked down. Um, a little rough to go to Dallas on the 29th and then back to Houston on the 2nd, like without being able to just sort of stay over through that. Uh, that chunk of time. Um, and then the thing that immediately stuck out to me is the fact that you're going to get four games in 11 days from September 2nd through September 13th. So it's, um, they're packing them in there, Cal. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, phase one is going to be busy. Um, I think absolute carnage is maybe the phrase. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be um, a period that will uh, require some rest afterwards for sure. Um, Look, end of the day, um, you're right. We're not privy to a lot of the information, so we're, we're not entirely sure how this will look. But it'll be tough when they're flying in the same day of the game. Flying out is fine because you, you've played the game afterwards. But um, I, I wonder how that's going to affect the players. Because I remember having a chat with um, an old co-commentator of mine, um, an individual called Diego Gutierrez, who's a former Kansas City and a Chicago Fire midfielder. I remember having this conversation with him several years ago, um, and and he would say that when you're travelling, when you're flying like you have to in this country to different stadiums, um, for the most part, you tend to do, uh, unless you've trained in the morning, you, you tend to do a light session then in the afternoon um, of, of wherever you are. Um, and it's light, very, very light on purpose, because your legs, after travelling, the buildup of, of, of lactic acids um, is something that can cause a lot of cramps. It, and, and, and if not looked after correctly, uh, I remember him saying it can cause real damage to, to your legs. If you're manoeuvring too quickly, I think it loosens up the muscles or something along those lines. Um, I'm not a medical expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I remember the, the insinuation essentially, Steve, was that travelling on the same day you're playing a game is not ideal. Yeah. And when you've traveled, you, you do need a recovery period for your legs, especially imagine if you're someone like Michael Boxall, who's what, six foot two or three, and you're cooped up. I, I, I know this will be a bit different because there'll be chartered flights, but the point is that you're cooped up in a tiny little area um, and it'll, it'll have an effect on, on individuals for sure. Um, so I, I hope that it, it really doesn't. Um, I hope it really... Um, is a situation where players aren't as affected as I think they might be because of this. But at the end of the day, um, it has to come down to, to safety. Um, so kudos to, to the league and, and the teams for and, and the owners, I guess, for, for agreeing to do the charter flights um, because it, it really was the only logical way yeah. of moving forward. You, you can't do airports and everything now, Steve, with, with yeah. the way the world is at the moment. So, um, and I'm assuming it'll be this way moving forward into whatever phase two looks like, you know, um, I, I just, um, the, the one thing I just hope, Steve, is that just, just that everyone is, is safe. I think it's the right call um, for, for individuals to, to not be at the stadium, for fans not to be at the stadium. Last week, you had a construction outside of your building. Now I've got construction <laughs> outside. Oh, here's something. 
um, as well as a, a bucket load of rain as well. So apologies if you're hearing the thumping of rain on my window at the moment. Yes. Um, <laughs> they must know. They must think, all these people must think, oh, Cal and Steve are doing their podcast right now. Let's let's make some noise, shall we? Well, let me tell you about the one that's the, the worst one, which is not happening right now because I'm upstairs in my house. But sometimes I've recorded downstairs in my house. I can't remember if I've mentioned this or not, but um, somebody might have, you may have heard it. Um, my, you know, air conditioner will occasionally, you know, pulls water out of, out of the, the air and then it will, has to dump that water somewhere and it dumps it into the sink that's in the, the laundry room. And so sometimes like I'd be doing a podcast with you and I just hear just water trickling. I just wanted to assure people I am not taking a leak during the podcast. It's just water dumping it. And I'm like, this is a terrible sound effect. So now we've had, here I've had thunder and construction so far and a, a, a quick downpour. So uh, yeah, all, all the audios. uh <laughs> It's, it, it's 2020. You know, it, <laughs> it wouldn't be 2020 without some sort of issue, would it? So. Right, exactly. Um, so, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, you, you mentioned the travel. Um, obviously, yeah. chartering is, is, is huge. Um, this is going to be interesting as far as what the effect of this is on home away records. It's something that I think I brought up when we were talking about the MLS's back tournament, which obviously that was all essentially neutral territory. Every Minnesota United game was a quote unquote away game, but it didn't, I don't think that really mattered so much. Um, it is going to be interesting to see how it matters now uh, going into stadiums without fans. Um, some stadiums with some fans uh, doing these quick turnarounds with, with chartered flights, which I agree with you. I mean, you, that's absolutely what you have to do. Um, but man, yeah, some of these turnarounds, you know, it's a good thing that we're not going to rail Salt Lake and then trying to come back and play three days later, like, cause that's also changing altitude. There's all kinds of issues that come along with that. But, um, but yeah, some of these turnarounds are going to be really tight. You know, you got to imagine they're playing rail Salt Lake on September 6th you know, the team's probably going to need the next day off. And then the next day is the day before the next game. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be tight. It's going to be interesting. Um, it wouldn't be a return to play, as we said, without playing Sporting Kansas City, which Minnesota has played four of the team's last 18 games against Sporting Kansas City. Um, going back to last season, uh, back to that clinching game for the playoffs. And that's including, you know, knockout stage games, which in which they weren't going to meet SKC, that it wasn't even a possibility. So in most games where there's a chance you could be playing Kansas City, Minnesota United is playing Kansas City. So is, is MLS just trying to tell something like, are we... Are we supposed to get together? Is this like a Darcy and, and Elizabeth thing from Pride and Prejudice, or what's going on here? I have no idea. I think it's. Uh, I, I generally don't have an answer for this, Steve, because, it, yeah. like you said, it's just every week we seem to play Kansas City, and, and I mean, is it here? Here's a question. Let me ask you this question: Is some of it because it looks like they're trying to sort of keep teams in their time zones? Yeah, um, more or less, right? That's what it is, yes. Yeah, and so you, you, we're not going to play Chicago because they're an Eastern Conference team. Um, you know, same thing with Columbus, although I guess Col- is Columbus Columbus might be Eastern time. Anyways, Ohio is weird. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, you're sort of looking at this slice down the middle of the country. Probably eventually St. Louis is another team we're going to end up playing a bunch. But, like, you know, Real Salt Lake is, is coming from a different time zone, but it's not too far away. Um, Colorado would be the same story. But basically you're playing FC Dallas, Kansas City, and Houston, which is just sort of down that, you know, central time zone. So I assume that's why we end up playing um, – sporting Kansas City a lot and I would rather play them a lot than Houston or Dallas because it's hot there and and probably nobody wants to go where it's super hot so here's a theory from left field for you all right is the league preparing 
for three conferences? It's a, it's a good idea. It's honestly one of those things that where, especially when you've got uh, teams, like the next teams that are coming in, right? You've got St. Louis, you've got Austin, you've got a bunch of teams that are coming in in that middle slice of the country. And it doesn't really, it's never really saw, served the NBA or MLS very well to have coastal um, conferences when there's essentially three regions of the country. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense. Um, I wouldn't hate it. I mean, it would be it would be better to realign in such a way that we ended up playing Chicago more, um, you know, and Nashville more. I don't even remember which conference Nashville is in anymore because of the way that they changed that stuff around. So, but like, you know, down this middle line of the country, it should just be its own conference rather than trying to figure out which, you know, conference Minnesota is in. Like, why is Chicago in the Eastern Conference and Minnesota is in the Western Conference? It doesn't make any sense. So. I, I struggle to understand. They are now, but at the start of the season, I struggle to understand why Nashville weren't in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. I didn't understand that. But look, it, either way, look, it, we, here, it's very easy for us to say this. We're not the ones looking at the logistics and making these right. decisions. You know, I mean, there's a method to the madness, you would assume, at some stage. But um wouldn't surprise me at all, Steve, moving forward, if, if that's the way the league goes, especially with, as you mentioned, St. Louis coming in, Austin coming in next year as well. Um, another team on the East Coast in uh, in Charlotte at some stage as well. So um, another one, Sacramento. Um, look, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But um, the good thing is, Steve, is is that Major League Soccer is just continuously growing and, and there's so many new ideas, there's so many new things that we can try. Whereas I think, you know, in other leagues around the world, things have been set for a long time and any change would disrupt whatever the product is. Mm -hmm. I still think Major League Soccer is at the stage of its growth where you can try new things out. Now, a lot of people won't like change because, you know, a lot of some people just don't like change regardless. Sure. Um, but I think Major League Soccer is, is both young enough and yet mature enough to adapt to change at the moment. Um, so why not try this? Um, why not try different things? Um, you know, until you, you have however many teams we're going to have in this league um, and you get to a final number and, th and then you can make the decision as to what the league's going to look like for the next 30 years, you know? I think yeah. whilst we're still having teams coming in and, um, you know, that there's different ideas being proposed, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to try these things out before we are set in stone for the next 30 years or whatever when that final expansion team comes in. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, if you ended up with 30 teams and then you had three conferences of 10 teams apiece, Right. Um, you know, that, that seems to make a certain amount of sense. I mean, I'm looking at the teams right now. Um, if, if you, if you figure that, let's say there's a, let's say there's a, a flyover conference, right? The flyover conference. If you made it Houston, Dallas, Colorado, Royal Salt Lake, Nashville, Chicago, Minnesota, that's seven teams, St. Louis, Austin, that's nine teams. You're getting pretty close to that. Like if you're in that range of, you know, there's, there's 26 teams right now. If you're getting up to that, you know, 20, there's going to be at least 28, right? There's probably, yes. maybe there's going to be 30. So, you know, three conferences of 10 teams, I could, I could buy it. I could go for that. You could see it. You could see it. And then I don't know how it works in other sports, Steve. Do, do they just play out of conference once a year or something, is it? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to look into other, I mean, there's not another American, is there another I have to think about. I have to look at divisions in the NBA and see how those shake out. There is only there's Eastern and Western Conference in the NBA. There's NFC and AFC in in the NFL. I don't know if there's another. I don't know if there's a three conference um, 
major professional league in the United right. States, but maybe there's, there's certainly ones where there's like three divisions within a conference. And so those questions of how do those divisions play each other comes into play. So, um, yeah. All right. We'll work on this and we'll get back to you. Um, let's, <laughs> speaking of conferences and where, where everything lands, uh, let's, let's close by just talking a little bit about where, uh, Cal, you feel like Minnesota United sits right now in the big picture, uh, given that, we don't know what the rest of the season is going to look like or, or how anything is going to happen. Um, like where, like right now, Minnesota United is second in the Western conference. Um, after the results of the, the, the bubble. And then, uh, you know, some of those teams having not played enough games because FC Dallas and Nashville haven't, have only played two games. They're going to play tonight um, and play each other. It, where do we assess them going forward? Let's go based on this. Okay. So they're adding uh, Bakai Debasi and, reasonably likely Emmanuel Reynoso like obviously this is still a thing in 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 going forward but like let's go under the conjecture that 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 Reynoso is 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 someone you can add to the team because that makes it more interesting to think about what the what, what the ceiling is you get back Ike Opara, um who I don't know for sure what his health is like but uh you get back Ramal Metinier you get back Kevin Molino you add Bakai Debasi and theoretically adding Emmanuel Reynoso where does that team sit in the Western Conference. Well, it's all very enticing, isn't it? You know, if, if the names that you just mentioned are all available for the rest of the campaign, there's no question about it, Steve. Minnesota United, in my opinion, have to be considered one of the top three or four teams in the Western Conference. Um, and that's exciting because we weren't ever sure if we could really, if we were going to ever to be able to, to say this. Um, you know, looking back on the first, first two years, um, I think um, it's... It's uh, um, people should be given a lot of credit that have put this roster together. It's taken time, but particularly over the last year or so, putting the roster together and um, the type of signings that have been made, I, I think have completely changed the perception of this club. Um, and, and we're not saying anything new here. Everybody understands this and knows this. But I think if you add a certain Argentine midfielder, I think... Minnesota United um, will be held to very high standards and high regards. Uh, I think it will change the perception of the club um, even more so. Um, because, you know, we've obviously had a, a little bit of time on our hands during lockdown. I spent a lot of time watching tape on Reynoso um, and not just on YouTube. You know, we have this wonderful system called Y Scout, which gives you everything from every angle you could possibly want, you know, and um, it, it seemed as though the Reynoso deal was on and it was off and it was on and it was off. So um, just for the sake of consistency, I've just been watching tape for a long time on him and um, it, it's a game-changing signing if it happens. It really is. Um, and you think of the, the supporting cast around him as well. It, it will be fabulous, Steve. It really will. Um, me personally, if, if Reynoso slots into the number 10, if he comes in, I, I'd put Molino on the left-hand side and, and Finlay on the right and, and I would have, uh, you know, obviously Armaria up front. And, and this is all obviously hypothetic because, we, you know, we, we've not made the signing yet. But um, the one thing what, that I'll say, Steve, and maybe I should save this for, you know, if, if we get the deal done. But if we don't, <laughs> let's make the point, shall we? I think uh, Reynoso will really change the perception of Minnesota United because when he comes in, if he comes in, I think there will be... Um, a certain standard and expectation from him as a player. And, for example, if somebody isn't making a run off the ball that he's trying to feed, that's an issue. 
but it's a standard he's used to playing at. And the best way to, to address that is to get another player that is of a similar standard. And getting in another player of a similar standard will be a lot easier now because they see the standards that Reynoso will be playing at. Sure. So I think it elevates the club massively um, if the deal gets done. Um, I, I would be very excited if I was a Minnesota United fan. Um, this is an individual who, who look, as I said, I'm sure you know, it's, it's not exactly been um, kept quiet, has it, over the last few months. I'm, I'm sure other people have gone and watched clips on YouTube or what have you. And we can see his quality. We can see what he'll bring. Um, and, and I think um, what I'd be most intrigued with would, would be the, the link-up play between him and Amaria because it's been clear for everybody to see Amaria is much better with a number 10 behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm just excited, Steve. I'm excited that there's a real possibility that it could get done. Um, I'm, I'm very optimistic about, um, about the rest of the season that we you know, the details that we have in front of us, that we know um, what the next month or so is going to look like. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very, very optimistic that Minnesota can be uh, one of the one of the top teams in the Western Conference moving forward should this deal get done. Yeah, I think that I really like your point, Cal, about, the, about Reynoso um, sort of raising the standard um, across the board and how I think it's important to look at acquisitions as not simply – isolated from everything else that this changes the team in this way, but that it's, it changes the team along a spectrum and sort of cha- along a, a line of how the team improves as sort of all the boats, you know, sort of are, are rise up from the flood, um, rise up. Sorry. I've been listening to a lot of Hamilton because my kids are in it. So now I'm just every, every, every Hamilton phrase like rise up, gets stuck in my head. Anyways, um, you know, you, we saw that happen with last year with the defense, I think, um, if you think about what Ico Parra's addition meant to Michael Boxall as a player, um, like Boxy's always been good, but I would say more on the line of solid than good. Um, and you see playing alongside players, like with having Alonzo in front of him, having Opara next to him, it's elevated his play and it's, it's brought that standard up. And I think that all the players, um, you know, sort of stepped up because those were the expectations. And I think Reynoso, Reynoso can do the same thing in a lot of ways for the, the, the attack. Um, you can see how much more effective, all, not just on Maria, how much more effective um, Ethan Finley is when he gets service. Uh, I mean, this is the thing that was hammered home again and again on the broadcast, that when, when Finley is, is, is getting in, when Ramon Metzenier is overlapping, when he's yes. making those runs, that, that just changes the game. And that you can get a lot more of that with Reynoso out there dealing essentially from, from the number 10 position. So, um, and this is also goes to the point of, you know, when people talk about, um, you know, Polito coming over to um, SKC or making a signing like that, like a guy who's that good. And, and everybody is just like, we got to sign somebody like that. It's like, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's like, there's, Polito came that, you know, if you look into the backstory of, of, of why different players go to different teams, there's windows of opportunity to sign players of, of that kind of caliber. And they don't happen just because a team gives them a lot of money. I mean, if it was just given a lot of money, like, I mean, obviously LA Galaxy is a team that will just give somebody a lot of money, but more than that, it's like, you know, players who are in situations where they're not going to get the, the, the time they want for their team. I mean, we talked about this with Ilya, right, in, in, in SKC, that like because of circumstances, he just wasn't going to get the playing time that he wanted. And there was an opportunity to move to um, – uh, now we're getting hammering in my house. I think that's my house. Um, you know – those opportunities come up and he wants to be in a system and he likes Peter Vermees' system, you know, like these things sort of, they roll together. It's not just this one move stops. And then, then we've got the team that we always want. Um, so this idea of Reynoso, if the deal gets done, 
if he comes and he raises the level, it's easier to get that next guy because you have Reynoso there. Um, and I think that's huge. I think it's a thing that, that fans need to keep in mind when they're looking at it, what are the opportunities and how they come about. Yeah, absolutely. So, so a few things here, Steve. People always say good things come to those who wait. I hate that phrase because good things come to those that do. And Minnesota United have been knocking on Boca Juniors' door for a long time now trying to get this done. So um, kudos to those um, that have been involved in it, Mark Watson in particular, um, who I know has been tearing his hair out from time to time trying to get this deal done. Um, as I said, if it gets done, well, well done to him and everybody involved. To Michael Boxall and the point you made, um, for me, Michael Boxall has, has been extremely underrated for far too long. Um, what I will say is that the, the partnership with Ike Opara elevated his game, no doubt about it. But Boxall is, is so switched on and, and such a model professional to the point now where it's at the stage where without Opara, Boxall takes on a leadership role. And, and I thought Boxall got my vote for, for one of the defenders of the tournament because I thought he was Absolutely. outstanding. Absolutely. As was Aha, but I thought Boxall was the leadership um, and, and was the, the best defender out of all of them for Minnesota United in the MLS's back tournament because he, he led from the back and he was wonderful. Um, and and I, I, don't think, I don't think Boxall gets anywhere near the credit that he deserves. Um, and look, as I said, I, I think he's improved as a footballer. He will admit that himself coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, now for me, as I said, I, I, think, he's, um, I think he's an exceptional centre-half. Um, and then um, moving on back, back to, to Reynoso and, and you know, several other um, uh, players that he will affect. I said this in our radio broadcast of the last game of the tournament against Orlando. Minnesota United... Um, have some very good pieces to their own puzzle in the right places now. There seemed as though there was one little piece missing, though. And that one little piece was somebody who could really grab the game by the scruff of the neck. A playmaking number 10. Now, I know Molino has looked okay uh, when fit. He looks good. But I think Reynoso is on another level. And I think Molino would be best served in a wide position. Um, It would be interesting to see, actually, because... Um, again, if this deal gets done, I know Reynoso can play on that left-hand side as well, and he, I would assume he would tuck in and allow ample time and space for Gasper on the left-hand side. Might leave him a little bit exposed as well, which could be an issue, but, but Molino, you, you would assume, would have the same... Um, uh, the, he would play the same, and, and the problems might, might present themselves anyway uh, on that left-hand side. But from an attacking point of view, my word, it's mouth-watering, isn't it? You know, yeah. It really, really is. So... Um, as, as I said, Steve, uh, on the radio broadcast, Minnesota United, have, 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 it feels like they are right on the edge of completing this puzzle that they've been trying to put together for so many years. There's just one thing lacking now, and it's a playmaking number 10 who can create, who can score goals and really grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Hopefully, hopefully, in the next week or so, they'll have brought in that piece. Well, we'll just, I'll have to wait for it like everybody else at this point. So, (laughs) well, thanks for joining us for the 107th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Friday, August 21st at 7.30 p.m. As the Loons return to Allianz Field to face Sporting Kansas City, presented by Allianz, minus the fans. There's no fans there, so don't show up um, to be let in. Uh, you can watch that on Fox Sports North, I presume. I don't even know exactly which. Plus, I believe. Plus, okay. I wasn't sure which iteration it was but find it on on your your browser or your tv uh and listen on score north 
Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.